This is Tom Jacobs from tdjacobs.com. I'm an evolutionary astrologer and channel. And uh, this uh, MP3 is on Jimmy Savile, who is a, a British media figure, who's a presenter and host of apparently numerous shows on the BBC uh, over several decades, uh, really coming to prominence in the 60s and 70s. One of the most popular figures on the BBC. I'll admit to not being an expert about uh, England or the BBC or about about this particular man, but a client of mine in the UK. Uh, I've been talking with her over the last few weeks off and on about my work on Nessus. And uh, so I was explaining it to her and telling her that some of the research I was doing led me to uh, pedophiles, including uh, priests, Catholic priests in the US, who had been uh, defrocked and some some jailed uh, because of their uh, you know molestation of children and I explained this to her that this is kind of one of the themes of Nessus had to do with not being sure how to control our uh, biological urges our sexual urges so I was explaining this to her and I sent her a little bit of the the, the draft chapter of a myth and archetype that's that's in progress and I'm just doing research over the last few years uh, it started actually with serial killers uh, yeah this is a bright happy topic but if you recognize uh, his name and we're drawn to this mp3 you know it's not about bright happy topics um, and it led me into uh, away from serial killers into uh, pedophilia the reason that I'm interested in these topics is really about explaining aspects of human nature that we're typically afraid to look at because we're terrified about them a major focus of my work in astrology is demystifying Pluto, uh, this the little planet that packs a powerful punch um, that represents our shadow, things we're not sure how to look at, we don't want to own, uh, different emotions, emotional states, and uh, aspects of consciousness that are very unattractive and, and sometimes dangerous. Certainly we fear looking at these ugly parts of ourselves. We, uh, some emotions that go with Pluto include uh, pettiness, jealousy, rage, uh, the urge to revenge a wrong, to lash out at somebody else, to, to hurt somebody else because we've been hurt. It has to do with anger and rage. It has to do with deep sorrow and grief. It has to do with jealousy, as I mentioned, um, and uh, craving intensity and trying to figure out what it means to be strong and powerful. So I counsel people to make peace with what they're capable of doing and then choose to act from their hearts because their hearts would never have them pursue destructive behaviors. But to own these parts of ourselves is a, is a new vision of how to be empowered. So that opens me up to be interested in all kinds of things that we don't often want to look at, including this idea of people who, who don't know how to control their sexual urges. So Nessus was a natural uh, opening for me after I'd really delved into this idea of Pluto and looking at what's difficult to look at. Um, Nessus is very young in our astrological minds. Pluto is, for that matter, having been discovered in 1930, uh, and here we are uh, 84 years later, it's still young in our conscious awareness. Uh, but Nessus is, uh, is much younger. My client recognized in this, in this story, in Jimmy Savile's story, a Nessus thread, because I'd sent her some of the article in process. And uh, so she sent me a link to this news story. And I looked at the chart. I looked up his uh, birth data online. Uh, we don't have a place. Uh, but I'll give it to you in a few minutes. Uh, but I do have uh, 
you know, month, a year, and location. And I pull it up, and there is Nessus and Aries square the Capricorn South node. And uh, that started to tell the story for me. So I decided that I really wanted to write a blog post. It turned into uh, this audio, this audio post, this MP3, because um, I have a lot to say, and I'm, I'm frankly not sure with Mercury currently retrograding uh, in Gemini, if I'm going to be able to organize all of those thoughts in writing and spell everything correctly and correct what didn't get spelled correctly. I just don't think I'm going to be able to pull that off in the next few weeks, to be honest. So I realized that talking it out uh, using some notes would work. Jimmy Savile's birth data, October 31st, 1926, in Leeds, England, L-E-E-D-S, England. And um, there's a lot I want to cover here. There's a lot I want to talk about. I want to talk about stereotypes about Scorpios, because this man is a Scorpio. Uh, <laughs> and uh, that's one of the things I want to talk about, uh, because I want to uh, attempt to peel back um, what we assume is happening so that we can have greater understanding of what his soul's journey is. This is a karmic profile of him, and I'm using it as, an illust uh, as a vehicle to explain a bunch of things about several archetypes that I, that I research and work with for various purposes, in including stuff about pedophilia and, um, and sometimes rape and things like that, because I, I do have an interest in helping people heal uh, their histories of their own sexuality. Uh, their, their sexual initiations when they're difficult and current relationships that don't work. I have a great interest in helping people heal sexuality is, is kind of the headline. And um, so the first thing we see in his chart is that he's a Scorpio. And uh, the Scorpio sun is conjunct Venus. And so, you know, we have this, this thing about may, maybe, he's a, maybe he's a charming devil kind of thing. And after starting to study the chart a little bit uh, and realizing that um, the story is more than just, oh, he's a Scorpio. That it's more than Nessus and Aries square the nodes, which I'll explain. It's actually more than Pluto conjunct the North Node, which is, uh, which is central to the story. Uh, it's actually a Persephone story, which kind of delights me in one way astrologically, because uh, I teach about Persephone, and there's a, there's a free article on my site called Persephone's Ransom. Uh, tdjacobs.com forward slash articles.html, where you can read that for free. It's a double chapter excerpted from um, Living Myth, Exploring Archetypal Journeys, where I explain how to understand myths as teaching tools versus archetypes as we live them, and how to, how to recapture connection with and trust our own psyches and our own processes, not just uh, working with how we should be. So, um, yeah, he's a Scorpio, uh, conjunct Venus. Um, yeah, he's got Nessus and Aries. You know, yes, he's got Pluto on the North Node. All these different stories, and it's going to end up being a lot about Persephone, which I'll explain, too. I want to start with the image that he carried for years. Uh, I should say that he uh, passed away at the age of 84 in 2011, and it was around the time of his death that uh, certain things had perhaps been alleged before that, but people started to come forward and file claims, and a documentary was produced uh, interviewing a few, a few of the victims. The documentary is called Exposed, The Other Side of Jimmy Savile, and I, I just watched this uh, free online, so you can look that up. Because of the documentary, <laughs> many more people came forward, and I read something like over 200 people had come forward with stories of how um, he, had, he had hurt them, either as young women molesting them, or rapes, or... or um, also reports recently from 
apparently why it's a big news item right now, reports from um, different uh, hospitals and institutions where he volunteered and did charity work, and he actually abused uh, patients sexually and actually uh, appears to have been into necrophilia as well, which is um, you know loving of the dead, so to speak, or, or sexual uh, interference is what it was called, uh, with uh, dead corpses. So all these things are kind of unpleasant, but we need to understand them, and I think we need to get grounded enough to understand them so we can really understand what this soul is about. One of the, one of the basic things that I, that I teach is that every soul is a portion of divine consciousness, trying to figure out what love is, where it comes from, and who's responsible for giving it to whom. Ultimately, we all need to become the source of love for ourselves, but along the way, as we find out that others can't love us in the way that we need... We resort to all manner of uh, tactics and behaviors to try to get that love. This is important to understand regarding every human, and especially when we're trying to understand why people do awful things to each other. Ultimately, it is about being bent out of shape because we didn't, we don't feel that we have enough love, and we don't know that we can become the source of love for ourselves. Aberrant behavior can be explained this way. And uh, we, I challenge you to get through some of the disgust and the fear and the, the, the horror and the real, um, you know, the emotional impact will occur. You'll feel anger. You'll feel sadness. You'll feel grief for these people who have experienced this abuse. And yet uh, I'm, challenging, I'm challenging us to uh, experience that, that, that grief and that sadness, that anger, and then go several steps beyond into understanding so that we can live different lives and teach each other how to become the source of love. Which will, which will solve these problems. We look at something like this and we see evil. And we see victim-perpetrator paradigm is, is, is how we, we have been working through. And one of the things I'm doing lately is attempting to teach us how to come out of that, how to understand the soul's perspective here. So every birth chart for me tells me what a soul, which is a portion of divine consciousness, is attempting to get its human to learn how to do in a strong, confident, empowered way. As I said, if we don't know that there's enough love and we don't feel supported, then we will develop all kinds of behaviors and tactics to attempt to, to get that or to feel that we are supported. In this gentleman's case, uh, one of the most popular TV figures uh, in, in, in Britain and uh, celebrated for a great deal of charity work, including a ton for children, and volunteering in hospitals, and raising money, and doing all kinds of things. So, so this idea of to find out these things, to find out about these allegations, uh, and to hear all these um, stories of people who have had these experiences, and, and who, who claim that he has done these things to them, you know, to assume that this is evil really rips something out uh, that seems very stable, which is we can count on this beloved, charismatic media figure to hold something for us, to, you know, to hold some, to hold some area of goodness for us. Look at all he does for these uh, charities, including many children's charities. So um, that revelation is particularly painful, and so my client suggested that I. Uh, I do a blog post to do a little profile of him to uh, to reach out to help people understand because this is a big news item and people, uh, maybe not everybody in the UK, but lots of people may be really reeling from uh, the shock of these revelations. So for several years, it, it w was known that there was some pedophilia going on. 
which as I said, well, I'll explain in terms of uh, the Persephone story. Um, but then lately, the whole thing about necrophilia and then abusing people in hospitals of all ages, something I read uh, in, in this particular article, it said something like, you know, between the ages of five and 74 or so, something like that, this wide range of people uh, who have been uh, reported to have been abused by him in different ways. One, one of the things that comes up in the, in the documentary I mentioned, Exposed, the other side of Jimmy Savile, uh, is that he's not here to defend himself. He passed away in 2011. I think that's a, on one level, that's a valid point to kind of give him the benefit of the doubt in some way. But on the other hand, um, I think it's really useful and instructive to, uh, to look at his chart, not as the chart of somebody evil, but as a portion of divine consciousness who developed some uh, really damaging and destructive behaviors in order to try to figure out how to feel loved and how to feel safe and secure, which is something that everybody needs. Uh, just bear with me for this for this explanation. Uh, I have a lot of things to share with you, and by the time uh, you get done with it, you'll understand quite a lot more about what this soul is uh, is trying to experience or is experiencing uh, through his uh, human personality. I always give the benefit of the doubt to a person because the person is a soul living a human life. And souls are divine love. Souls are divine consciousness, which is loving. And then we come to earth and through our personalities interact with each other to try to learn how to become the source of love. Or how, essentially we're finding out over and over again that we can't get love from other people in the ways that we really need. As I said, then we develop behaviors and strategies to try to get that and these can become manipulative and uh, destructive and outright abusive. Um, as I look at his chart, I'm going to begin with Pluto. Pluto, for me, is where I start with every chart analysis because it describes what the soul intends the human figures out how to do in order to become strong and powerful. But all humans throughout time have, uh, pretty much all humans throughout most of history, human history, have, have tied the idea of power, strength, and confidence to material reality. So what is it that makes you feel that you can be confident about yourself? Is it your bank account? Is it possessions? Is it uh, you know a home that you feel gives you stability and security? Is it a job that that makes you not have to worry about money? Uh, we tie uh, our, self, our, our ability to be strong and confident to our attractiveness, our money. Um, sexual prowess would be an extension of attractiveness. Uh, to our social contacts, to the esteem we have, to reputation and respect. Uh, sometimes even to skills that we possess, uh, and, and very often to possessions and money. So when we do that, these things change. If we tie it to our youth and strength, we age. If we tie it to our sexual attractiveness, that may change over time. If we tie it to money, we may lose money. You know, money changes over time. So this is a this is an old way of understanding a Plutonian power. And this is one of the reasons why I teach about it uh, as, as often as I do. I want people to understand that absolute unflinching unashamed self-awareness, self-knowledge, an absolute unflinching, unashamed self-acceptance, which is self-love, is the actual route to Plutonian empowerment. But as we've cycled it through this over many lives, thinking that it comes from external sources, we got all these whacked out ideas, messed up ideas, about what it means to be strong and powerful. So when I look, when I look at Savile's chart, uh, Pluto is in the sign of Cancer. We don't have a birth time, so we don't have the houses. But it's in the sign of Cancer at its retrograde, and it's conjunct the North Node, which which is a, a very important part of the story. The North Node 
of the moon represents something we haven't done in many lives, and it feels foreign to us. We either are hell-bent on making it happen, or we don't feel we deserve it. And some of us go back and forth uh, between those two extremes, perhaps really truly believing in ourselves and then backing away, you know, giving up on it partway through and, and self-sabotaging perhaps. Uh, so empowerment is missing for him in a bunch of lives. Now, because he's a person, he will have tied it in many lives, this idea of being strong and confident and powerful to material reality, sexuality, attractiveness, money, possessions, respect, achievement. He'll tie that idea of power, of power to that. But Pluto's conjunct this north node, so it's missing. So he has not explored what real Plutonian empowerment is about. He has not looked into his darkest parts, accepted them, and moved on. Like there's going to be some shame in there. There's going to be some fear of um, being seen as somebody shameful and different things like this. But what happens with the planet conjunct the north node, if we're hell-bent on, on having that energy or doing that, we will probably have ideas about what it like, what it looks like to do it. Basically prejudices. In this case, we might say preconceived ideas about what it means to do it. And because it's been far away from us, other people, in this case, have been Pluto. Other people have been powerful. Other people have been wealthy. So when somebody has something like this, a chart signature with Pluto conjunct the North Node, they may not know what it means to be truly strong, but they have ideas observed from other people's models. Uh, Pluto's retrograde, which is another layer of this, Pluto retrograde says that these ideas need to be rethought, meaning they're probably based on external models. People with Pluto retrograde, it's about five months out of every year, so over 40% of the population at any given time on average has Pluto retrograde. What it means is that they don't quite know what to do with it, and so they will look around at what seems normal in other people seeming to do it, and they'll try that on for size in hopes that they'll be able to do that. But it's never satisfying. It can't be satisfying. It never will. External models cannot work, so a person must invent his or her own wheel. Not reinvent the wheel, but come up with a brand new way of doing it. So his is in Cancer. Cancer is about safety and security. Cancer, as I'll explore as we get into this story, Cancer is also about uh, you know, this idea of safety and security. It's about innocence. It's about playfulness. It's about a child. It can be about a childlike energy. It's about being vulnerable. And so, uh, what Pluto means in his mind, you know, his belief system about empowerment and strength, he'll tie it to material reality. And as a well-known figure, he certainly used that power over and over again. Watch this documentary and read the news stories. Uh, you know, listen to the accounts of some of the of some of the the young women now adults, middle aged, who uh, who experienced those um, you know those situations with him and, and experienced that abuse, and it's all about using power. It's all about being a Plutonian figure, but it's a very empty way of doing it, as I'll, as I'll continue talking about. So Pluto empowerment is far away, and he has prejudices or preconceived notions about what it means to be powerful. Um, people with Pluto on the North Node can have a lust for power and also a lust for lust. <laughs> um, safety and security is one of the main things with Pluto in the sign of Cancer. 
Now, some of those people will be some of the people who have that, um, and it's from the from the teens up through 1937, 38, when Pluto went into Leo. Um, you know, so maybe almost 20 years worth of births or so, and those people will have as a fundamental need to feel safe. So now we're going to transition into, uh, I'm kind of leaving a, an ellipse, an ellipsis there because we're going to continue that conversation. The south node of the moon for Saville is in Capricorn, and Capricorn is about conformity, practicality, it's about hard work, and it's about appearances. It's about fitting into the bell curve. And, you know, as I look into Saville's eyes and hear these accounts of him and as I um, kind of get the sense of his energy through video clips and, uh, you know, things like this, um, I definitely see that Saturnian thing. He's putting on a face. Now, it could be said that all entertainers or media figures do that, but, but for him, I actually see a vulnerable side behind the, uh, the, the monkey face or aping face. How do you say that? Like the... Uh, like he's uh, making faces for the camera all the time and all these still photographs. And uh, I definitely see the vulnerability behind it. But, but, um, but so he's shaped in many lives through needing to, meet, to be Capricornian, needing to be Saturnian. Um, and this is a lot about uh, external expectations, requirements, and limits and rules. So it's ultimately results for many people in suppression for different reasons. But we can assume that natural sexuality for him is suppressed. He's coming from a Capricornian environment. Capricorn is not about letting loose and being free. Capricorn is about fitting within the bell curve, being normal, uh, you know, uh, sacrificing things in order to fit in. That's a huge Capricorn thing. Capricorn is not all bad. When I talk about somebody's south node being in Capricorn, we need to paint it as this a picture of, um, you know, that's not always positive and that the person is trying to evolve away from. Now, he will, in some sense, see the world, just as we all do with our south nodes, through the lens of Capricorn. He will expect it to be that way, and he will find it to be that way. So this facade and the image and the, uh, you know, presenting a, an image of who he is as opposed to who he really is, which would be a, can which would be a Cancerian expression of his hu humanity, um, that is emphasized for him. Now, square the nodes... Um, so this is about his karmic history and the family and environments and, and to some degree culture he comes from. Uh, square of the nodes is Nessus and Aries and, uh, and also Eris at zero Aries. These are not conjunct. Eris or Eris, E-R-I-S, is at zero Aries. It's retrograde. And uh, Nessus is at 15. So they're not conjunct, but they're each square of the nodes. I use up to 10 degrees on squares of the nodes. And then on the other side, uh, we have... Vesta in Libra and Pallas Athene in Libra, and they're almost as far apart. Pallas at 14 and, and Vesta is at zero. Squares to the nodes always indicate unresolved issues, questions that come up that we need to answer for ourselves. Now, my client uh, in the UK saw, you know, heard the story and knew, knew it would appeal to me, and that had a lot to do with the Eris or the Nessus influence. Nessus, I want to talk about that for a minute is about living in two worlds. This is the approach that I use to tease out the archetypal process and the threads within our consciousness, the different things that we live according to Nessus. Um, basically, living in two worlds, uh, the story, and a brief overview of the main story of Nessus that comes to us is he's a centaur, which uh, almost all of them are uh, brutes, uh, unruly, unpredictable, uh, drunkards who ruin parties and inadvertently kill each other and others. 
So they're not the best people you want to have hanging around. They're brutes. You know, they're uncivilized. They're half horse, half humans. They're they're all of a particular family, except except Chiron and perhaps one other one. I, I'm kind of blanking on that, but definitely Chiron's different. Chiron, we're going to talk about uh, later in the story. Um, and he set up. He has set himself up in business uh, at this particular river to ferry people across because he's half horse, half human. He can carry people with his human half body, and go under the water with his horse self or swim. And uh, Heracles uh, comes by with his wife Dianeira, and Heracles figures he can get across, but he hires uh, Nessus to carry Dianeira across the river, and. The accounts differ. The ways I'm assuming that that the, that the Greek is translated differs, because it's said that he that Nessus in midstream, mid-river, um, either makes an advance or gives a an amorous look, or it said rapes Dianeira. It could be as simple as an advance, something inappropriate, like we might call it, you know, a pass or make a move, something like that, and. Dianeira exclaims, Heracles turns around and sees it, and that his, his wife, is his woman is, da- is in danger, and he shoots Nessus with a poisoned arrow. And uh, Nessus, as he's dying, convinces Dianeira to take some of his blood, of his own poisoned blood now, as a, a love potion for, to use for Heracles later. And she does so, and later when she uses it, several years later, he uh, Heracles is actually poisoned and dies. And this is the fall of the great the great hero, because she's suckered into the story that Nessus gives her. So there's a lot going on here, and some people who are talking about Nessus and doing research are talking about um, alcoholism and, and molestation, sexual abuse that carries down through families. And and my position is that's not inaccurate, yet. Um, there's more to the story. It's really about uh, how we attempt to control our primal impulses, given that we live in society. So the two worlds. I'm an animal. This is there's a world inside me, which is nature and its com- its complexity and completeness. I have these urges. I'm a sexual being, but I also live in civilized society with other people. How should I behave? How can I behave? How can I not behave? What can I get away with? Can I integrate my primal, raw, sexual, animal nature, which does not think and cannot edit itself? Can I integrate that with, you know, my surroundings? Can I can I either be that or can I hide it? And this is a struggle that many go through with Nessus. The thing with alcoholism, uh, part of that comes through, like like from what I understand about some people who are talking about that, that the centaurs are drunkards, and that's well known, uh, documented within within the mythology. How I understand it is that when we find ourselves unable to integrate who we really are, we may try to escape that or numb our true desires that are not socially acceptable, and alcohol and the addiction that can follow from alcohol abuse is one way uh, to try to curb our presence, you know, our sense of, of awareness of the difficulty of trying to integrate our true selves with our social selves, our constructed facades of who we are. Because my persona that I present to you that's socially acceptable is not who I am. 
and I understand that. I'm, I have Nessus within me, and I've been really connecting with this. So how do we act on our sexual urges and impulses when they are socially inappropriate? And this is why sexual molestation comes through as a Nessus theme. Um, this idea that it travels through families, I think that family systems have uh, karma together. I know they have karma together, and I think that Nessus, when it's a theme in a family, uh, it has a lot to do with all, everybody in the family trying to figure out how to deal with these urges, how to deal with desire, with a primal attractiveness. You know, it's socially inappropriate to be attracted to somebody in your own family, and, and even, you know, quadruply so, somebody in a younger generation whom you are supposed to be protecting, nurturing, and fostering, and raising. So, um, so that's where I think that ties in, but I think that just looking at it in terms of alcoholism and molestation and even how those two link up and the overlap with those two themes or those two realities, I think it's not, it's not enough of the story, which is why I've been doing research and writing about it. I really focus on looking at the emotional and, and related psychological impact of denying who you are. So I, I do endeavor to have compassion for all people, and this is one of the reasons that I'm, you know, have, have been interested in doing research on serial killers that led to pedophilia, or pedophiliacs, uh, because I really want to understand the collective problem we have with sexuality, the collective, not not wounding we have. That's the wound is actually a byproduct of the problem which is confusion about who we really are. I perceive that Nessus offers us the opportunity to truly understand the conflict within ourselves of knowing who we are, this pre-rational, pre-verbal, instinctive, primal, wild side, uh, with socially acceptable uh, constructs. You know, what is socially acceptable? The contexts in which we live our human lives. We're not, we are, most of us, not living out in the wild following these primal urges. So what kind of poisoning occurs when we don't have an outlet to act on wild primal sexual urges? That's what Nessus is really about. How do we deal with that? So for Jimmy Savile, Nessus, square the node, says this question is an unresolved issue more so than for a lot of people. What do I do with my urges? It's in Aries, a sign of sexual expression, of, of expressing desire, of going for what we want, of conquest, of asserting ourselves boldly without thinking. So get, you know, square to the nodes in, in my vocabulary uh, can be something that we maybe know a few things out of the totality of what we need to know to navigate the energy in a conscious way. Some people have learned that evolutionary astrologers call this a skipped step or a missed step. I don't call it that. I don't agree with that because it's not something we skipped. That's looking at the nodes as a continuum of you come from the south, you need to go to the north, and this will get in the way. I don't, I don't agree with that. And what I, what I see it as is that you have um, – because I have people call me and email me all the time asking me about that, and it's not my idea, and I don't, I don't uh, teach that uh, skip step idea. You, what I've learned from working with the spirits of the dead and uh, Ascended Master Jehudi, who's also known as Thoth and, and Saint Germain and Merlin, what I've learned about the soul's intentions with this is that you know three or four things out of the seven things you simply must know to be healthy. So you have certain habit patterns about this thing, and you'll probably stick your foot in your mouth or shoot yourself in the foot or trip over your shoelaces and other, uh, you know, foot-related uh, images. But but uh, you don't know all you need to know, so you'll rely on certain habits, but they will not 
work for you. So you'll attempt the same thing over and over again, get a crummy result, and then be confused about why you're getting a crummy result. That's the nature of a square to the nodes. So it can lead to compulsive behavior because you think you're right because you don't know any different. So whenever we have a square to the nodes, and this guy has four, <laughs> uh, we need to learn how to open up to, uh, you know, to new ways of doing things, catch ourselves, check our habits, check our impulses, and learn to make new choices. So how to allow his sexuality to naturally express itself is a big question. This is in Aries. Now, Chiron is also in Aries. Uh, it's at 29 uh, Aries, and it's retrograde, and that indicates a wound to being assertive in a healthy way. Uh, Aries' assertiveness is um, unchecked, unedited, it's not thought about. It's not mediated. You don't sit there and deliberate, gosh, how am I going to do this thing? You do it. Chiron in Aries is a wound to that. Nessus in Aries is this confusion over the right way to integrate primal raw sexuality. Uh, and then Eris in Aries, or Eris. I always say Eris, but I realize I'm probably going to start saying Eris soon. But I also work with the asteroid Eros, E-R-O-S. So I started saying Eris to differentiate between that. Um, and uh, this is about having vulnerabilities and then also triggering others' vulnerabilities. So Eris and Aries for him will have to do with perpetrating abuse and also perhaps being very, very, um, being very, very sensitive to his own ability to assert himself in a healthy way. So it's like he's got a vulnerability about Aries, and he triggers others' vulnerabilities. That's kind of a, an overview of the of the Aries story. But that's where the notes too. How can I deal with? How can I deal with um, what makes me vulnerable? You know, so he's got the North Node in Cancer with Pluto there, which has to do with feeling and learning how to move into feeling. I'll get into that some more later. But this this uh, thing that's not resolved, this thing he needs to learn, you know, more about. He knows about half of the things that you know that are possible and that he needs to know. It that has to do with again, how do I deal with sexuality and Chiron and Aries? How do I deal with sexuality? How how do I deal with being assertive? So these are all questions and really difficult things. And uh, and then we move on to uh, I'm gonna um, well I'll say that Pallas Athene we'll kind of cover this briefly Pallas Athene is about standing up for something it's a warrior energy it's a wise warrior energy and it's in the sign of deliberation and mediation and editing things so Libra considering how you will you know how you will do this and it's the other warrior energy. So Mars is one warrior energy, and Pallas is the other. We might think of Mars as the instinctive, headstrong, hot-headed warrior, while Pallas is the cool-headed, considered, wise warrior energy. So this is square the nodes. Now, in Libra, the sign of relationship and justice and fairness. How do I stand up for others? How do I protect others? This is an unresolved issue, too. Uh, and then Vesta in Libra... Vesta is about taking something very, very seriously, so we don't do it at all, or we do it full on. We don't do anything halfway when it comes to Vesta. We take it way too seriously. And in this case, in Libra, this whole thing about justice, fairness, harmony, uh, and working with that. So so my sense is because of what I'm going to explain about more about this Pluto thing and then the uh, per Persephone and Neptune square Saturn, which tells a lot of the story, that be because of being bent out of shape about Plutonian power and this, this Neptunian craving for Persephone, for youth, for innocence, for that 14-year-old maiden energy, 
which uh, when you listen to this documentary, you'll hear many references to, oh, that girl was 14 years old, or when I was 14, uh, you know, this is when he abused me. And, uh, but, but, but because of that, this stuff in Libra got, I think, got kind of left out. How do I stand up and protect others? It doesn't look like he protected anybody, etc. Returning for a moment to this idea of the, the retrograde Pluto and Cancer conjunct the North Node, innocence, safety, and security are lacking. So because he doesn't have that experience, he's coming from a Capricorn South Node where you have to buck up. You have to do the hard thing. You have to sacrifice. It's about practicality, necessity, sometimes hard times, sometimes hardship, labor. Uh, it's a Capricorn South Node. And of course, all the stuff about conformity I was talking about. What's missing for him is being empowered through feeling safe and secure and in cancer, truly knowing his emotions and dealing with the emotional impact of anything and everything in life and in his world. So repeatedly in this documentary, they're talking about um, uh, when he was molesting somebody, it was like a quick thing. It was fumbling. I made some notes here, actually. Um, hold on one second. Uh, a quick fumble, um, no foreplay, clothes not even off, just an act of sex, quick and unemotional. So this idea of Pluto on the north, and he doesn't know how to do Pluto in Cancer, but he's got an idea of what Pluto looks like. And here's and there's this thing about conquest, and he's not emotional though when he does this. It's not like he's Don Juan seducing them. He's just abusing them. He's raping them. He's sticking a hand under a skirt or a sweater, and he's fumbling around. And you know, so it's this very disconnected, not emotional, not heart-centered thing. There may be somebody else with this chart, you know, similar in age, you know, who craves the emotional connection and knows that craving is there and goes for it and is trying desperately to connect emotionally, even if, you know, being abusive sometimes, that person might be moving toward emotion. He wasn't, very obviously, was not moving toward emotion. It was he was running on a preconceived notion of what Pluto meant, and it had to do with conquest, had to do with conquest. Um, but the preconceived idea about Pluto is that you know what power brings, what power offers, what a person can do when powerful. Now, shifting into the Persephone kind of part of the story, uh, in the mythology, Hades, who is Pluto, is the figure. Uh, Hades is the uh, the Greek name, while Pluto is the Roman name. And then we have uh, Persephone uh, is the Greek name, and, and Proserpine is the Roman name. So we kind of switch these. We don't say Hades and Persephone here. We say Pluto and Persephone. You'll just forgive me as I, as I explore that and use the names that we use for these bodies in the chart. Uh, Pluto is the dark, mysterious stranger who abducts Persephone from her safe little life where, where she, uh, in which she's perpetually 14, innocent, naive, green, a virgin, maiden-like in every way, uh, interested in flowers and other girlish distractions, so to speak, uh, thinking about stereotypes, you know, that come down to us about what what fourteen year old girls are all about, abducts her into his realm, the underworld, which is hell, and makes her his queen. And the stories differ on exactly how that happens, and then we, you know, have this whole story of her mother, who was very smothering prior to this, coming down uh, to to get her and having this whole deal with uh, this. Um, court case, basically, where she takes Pluto to, 
takes Pluto to court to uh, to get her daughter back, and there's a compromise that's reached, which is actual actual baloney. I'll talk about that a little bit too, um, uh, because who gets to own her? Who gets to own Persephone, the young woman? And it's this whole uh, patriarchal story about who gets to own the woman, the mother or the husband, and how that conflict arises. Um, but uh, we have to first, uh, you know, so he has this idea of what it means to look, to be powerful. So he has this stereotype of Pluto, power, the rich man who can have any woman or who can seduce or whatever. He has that idea in his head, and this drove him. This really was with him. This is what I can see from this story and this documentary as well as, you know, looking into this chart story and, and looking in his eyes, frankly, uh, in the photos and the clips. Um now, the south node's in Capricorn, so its ruler is in Scorpio. The ruler is Saturn. That's in Scorpio. And I look at the south node to see how the person sees life. I look at the south node ruler to see how this person shows up in many lives. So he shows up as a Scorpionic figure, the south node ruler being in Scorpio. And uh, he's conjunct Mercury and Sagittarius, and this is the clown, the joker, the entertainer, the jester also very curious and good with language, good with communication. Um, you know, uh, it's Saturn and Scorpio, it's a heavy energy, but it's conjunct Mercury, the lightest energy, right? The, the energy that flits around and travels everywhere and touches all bases, the Joker energy, in, you know, ruled by Jupiter. So there's definitely a lightness in there as well. And so this makes him a great communicator and, and a media personality kind of flows from this. Able to be, to some degree, professional, but to have you know, be a professional jester in certain ways, and professional kind of life of the party with this Mercury ruled by uh, by Jupiter. So to, to recap this, he's living in a Capricornian environment, and he shows up as a Scorpionic figure. So in an environment of repressiveness or control or sacrifice or dryness, he shows up as a Scorpio figure who uh, has something to say. A Scorpio figure in a Capricorn environment is always looking for the seedy underbelly. <laughs> you know, Southland ruler in Scorpio is somebody who's trying to explore intenser things in life, is trying to explore taboo subjects that in a Capricorn environment are not allowed to be explored. Uh, Capricorn really uh, involves quite a lot of suppression, but anything natural that's suppressed comes out distorted later. And this is an idea you might recognize from the teachings of Jeff Green, an evolutionary astrologer. Um, I almost quote him every time I say that, so I like to give I like to give credit for that because I didn't make it up, but it's a really great thing. It's true. Anything natural that isn't allowed to come out comes out eventually distorted, and. Um, you know, this is everything that's wrong with our culture, you know, with Western culture and now global culture about sexuality, abuse, rape, the treatment of women. Uh, all these things are about suppressed natural sexuality. I go at it this in different ways through my, through my work with Lilith, now through my work with Pluto, uh, all kinds of different ways. And now I'm exploring this through Nessus and Persephone. Um, and uh, it's a major global theme. Uh, anything, again, I'm repeating it for the third time, but anything that's repressed will come out eventually in a distorted way. You cannot hide what's natural. So he shows up in a bunch of lives, South Node Ruler in Scorpio, carrying this knowledge, but probably fearing bringing it out, probably fearing living how he actually is. The Saturn is square Neptune in late Leo, conjunct Persephone, the asteroid 399, in early Virgo. 
So this is where the real story comes in. He shows up as Saturn in Scorpio. He desires. It might not be obvious. It might not be lived out loud because he's living in a repressed culture. He's living in a repressed environment. He was never taught to honor his sexuality. And he is squared by Neptune-Persephone. Now, Persephone is that, that perpetual maiden idea, that, that youthful thing, that youthful female energy where uh, innocence, you know, this idea of ripe for the plucking, this idea of uh, a woman, you know, this cultural idea that comes down to us that women are to be conquered. This is a Persephone-Pluto story when we, when we find that thing in our culture, that the powerful man is in fact supposed to dominate the weaker woman. You know, so this is something that comes down to us uh, through, through cultural teaching. We don't, we don't always buy this now. I mean, we're not living in these ancient times. But this comes down to us, that the strong man must go for what he wants and must conquer the feminine, conquer the woman. And that is about conquering the feminine, which is about the genesis of patriarchy. That's what this is about. And if that interests you, check out, uh, I made this PDF free in the last uh, few weeks called Goddess, Past, Present, and Future. It's a channeled ebook. On Kindle and Amazon, the price has been dropped, but on my site, the PD, on ttjacobs.com, um, on the channeled books page, the PDF, the 100-page PDF, quite a juicy book, uh, is now free because I want you to read this about this story. But anyway, I don't want to get too distracted by that um, because I really want you to read it and have Jehudi, the Ascended Master I channel, make that story clear for you. So as Saville and a bunch of lives shows up as a Scorpionic figure, he's squared by Neptune. Now, Neptune is the need to connect with other realities. But Neptune is glamour. <laughs> Neptune is something uh, gorgeous, glamorous, beautiful, seductive, something we want to get lost in. That's in Leo, conjunct Persephone. This is a setup for him to have a roving eye for young women. Now, it doesn't mean he has to act on it. It doesn't mean in every life he's a he's a, you know going after underage women and fumbling around in their knickers, which is a phrase that came up many times during that uh, you know during that uh, documentary that I watched. It's not that he has to do that, but given you know Pluto on the North Node, what does it mean to be powerful? I don't know, so I have an idea of what it means to be powerful. And then Nessa square the nodes. How do I integrate my wild sexuality with the reality that I live in an organized society in which that primal nature is not accepted? And the whole repressive Capricorn South node uh, conditions in many lives, being told that you're supposed to be like this. You know, you're, you're supposed to fit into the bell curve. You're supposed to be normal. You're supposed to be drab, dull, and quiet. Given those things, it is not out of the realm of imagination that in some lives he is a pedophile, that he is doing that. He probably wouldn't think of himself that way because this part of him craves innocence, Pluto, in, you know, which means safety, which means not being exposed to terrible things. Innocence and safety, we might, we might think, well, that's kind of naive because um, there, I actually tell people there's no such thing as safety until you know that you're safe, until you decide and you assert your divine will that you are safe, then you create this field of security within yourself because you know yourself and accept all parts of yourself, even the ugly parts. 
and the unattractive emotions and motivations and feelings, as I talked about with Pluto. That's Pluto empowerment. But he doesn't know that. It's conjunct the North Node. So he has a prejudice about it. He has a preconceived idea that he goes after. So you have this whole setup where he is actually squared by Neptune Persephone. In some parts of life, this will be rejection and misunderstanding by those who are beautiful, in whose beauty you would want to get lost. Now, when he's like five or six years old, whatever, right, it, it, this happens. Like, he might even have, he might have even expressed a crush on, a, on a, a friend of the family or an older family member or something like that, and it wouldn't be taken seriously. And then he's 10 years old, pre-puberty. You know, I'm just giving you these images, not like reading him, you know, psychically. Uh, and when a 10-year-old does that, well, it's kind of cute. When a 13-year-old does that, 13-year-old might be starting to change biochemically, physically, hormonally. And, uh, and so that changes. And then 15, well, yeah, you know, he's, uh, he's coming into his manhood, whatever. 20, yeah, he's a young man. 20. Anyway, you know, as, as a young, a young man matures, he matures, you know, sexually as far as, um, biochemically and physically, it doesn't mean emotionally. And remember Pluto in cancer, how can I be empowered through being healthy emotionally? That is on his North node. Nobody has ever taught him that. It's been missing in many lives, including this one, because he's expected to conform to a Capricornian should, a set of shoulds, a series of shoulds. So he's being pushed away at some point because the woman never got older. That's what I'm getting at. It's like if he's five, it's cute. If he's 10, it's cute. If it's 13, it's a little age appropriate. He's got a crush on a 14-year-old. If he's 18, well, you know, it gets a little, you know, it's not okay. And then he's 20, you know, we overlook it, whatever. And then, you know, actually he it was well known that he liked younger women and it wasn't thought of as pedophilia. It was thought of as he liked underage women. He liked young girls. And in this case, in their early teens, about 14 years old, you know, maybe 13 or 15 as well. Um, so he's squared by this craving, which Neptune can be if it's pushed away from you, if it's kept away from you, if it, if it evades you, this craving for innocence. So he sees innocence, naivete in women, and he doesn't have a sense of being safe to have his own innocence to appropriately grow out of. So he sees this innocence in these young women, these girls, these teenagers, and he feels that the only way to appropriately relate to it is to conquer it. Because he has this messed up idea of what Pluto means. He has a prejudice about Pluto. He has a preconceived notion that of what it means to be strong. When we use Plutonian energy in ways that are not grounded and conscious. We allow fears to come up. We are afraid of plutonium parts of us. They are the parts that if threatened would do something defensive that might be really awful. They are the parts that if we're jealous and we really want something or we feel wronged or betrayed or lied to or cheated, uh, betrayed, then we may do something terrible to another person. Revenge fantasies are Plutonian, and at some point, most people, if not everybody, have had them. Most people will not own up to them, but they are real, and they're part of who we are. If we push those things away, that's pushing away, that's distorting and suppressing 
something natural. It, and they will come out in messed up or distorted ways later. This is the source of people hurting each other in terrible ways that, that terrify us, which is the fodder of most of the evening news and the newspaper headlines. Um, but if we own what we can do, and we're grounded and aligned with our hearts, and we love those parts of ourselves, then when we use Plutonian energy, it's in a conscious, grounded, intentional way, and it becomes true power, which is based in, as I, before, as I said before, absolute, unflinching, unashamed self-awareness and absolute, unflinching, unashamed self-acceptance. So you could do a terrible thing. Accept that. And then choose that you're not going to. Understand that if you were inspired to do a terrible thing, it would be because, it would be because you felt hurt because of a pain somebody somebody inflicted upon you, or abuse, or a power game, a power struggle, power over, power under stuff, and dynamics, or because you wanted something but didn't think you had the confidence to get it, or didn't think you were strong enough to have it, or didn't think you deserved it, which is a way of saying you didn't think that you were lovable enough to have something wonderful. When you think you can't have something, things can get bent out of shape, and this is Pluto. It becomes a craving. So he's got Pluto on the north node, this messed up idea of what power is, and therefore conquest. And he's going to stumble and fumble through this, these situations with all these young women, lacking emotion, lacking connection, just a sex act, fumbling, grabbing a sex act with no emotional connection. That's not satisfying. So he becomes, it's like almost like a little kid within him is craving to feel safe and secure, but he knows, he believes, that there's no such possibility for him, so he is actually conquering safety, security, innocence, and naivete. He's conquering innocence of youth. He owns it, which is a misunderstanding. It's an unhealthy expression of Pluto energy to consume something, and that's what he's doing. Leaving this uh, wake of uh, victims in his, you know, leaving a wake of victims. So I'm offering you all these perspectives, as I mentioned earlier, to contribute to altering the victim-perpetrator paradigm. Because every soul has the experiences that, uh, every human has the experiences that his or her soul needs to have. Soul does not want you to be abused. Soul is not hoping that you get hurt or that you're raped or molested or abused or anything like that. But soul recognizes that all manner of human experiences are necessary for it as divine consciousness, which is goddess and God, to learn about how to be human. The whole human experiment is to learn about what it means to be human, to learn through forgetting that we are the generators of love, we are the progenitors of conscious loving energy. That's what our souls are. Nothing, no agreement between souls unfolds without conscious love between them. They only love each other. So we also need to, I'm inviting you to look at his soul as fulfilling a function for all these hundreds of young women, perhaps even more than those 200. Uh, for all those young women to learn something about sexual initiation without conscious awareness or intention that he his soul is actually has actually fulfilled through this aberrant abhorrent awful destructive behavior he is actually 
contributed to the learning journey of hundreds of souls of other people needing to be shown what happens when sex happens without heart connection. When somebody fears not having something he or she wants and goes to drastic violent means to achieve it. When we as a culture grow up around the ethos of suppression of natural sexuality through the attempt to be normal and not have to deal with the complexity of all that messiness that is our primal animal nature, his soul is actually filling this role. He's actually fulfilling this function for all of these people across time. He's doing this in a bunch of lives in different ways. Now, in some life, it might be like a real loving Don Juan kind of scenario, like actually sweeping women off their feet. In some lives, he might be celebrating them and leaving them, you know, uh, floating an inch in the air in love with love, but able to watch him walk away and be okay with it because they're opened up to this beautiful passion. In some lives, he's probably doing that. And his soul is having him learn different ways of being Pluto and Cancer, different ways of feeling that he can't have innocence, that he can't actually ever feel safe and secure and therefore relaxed and able to be young and playful, that he can't do that. So as he ages, the age of the women he, you know, the young women, the young women in this Persephone dynamic that he, uh, that he molests and initiates into this sexuality in these unhappy ways, that the age never changes because he never got that need met of feeling safe and secure. And that is everything about the, the, the Pluto in Cancer on the North Node. I want to talk for a moment about the square. I mentioned it, I brought it up, and then I went into this whole like soapboxy thing about uh, what, it, what it means to me. But I want to talk about the square to the south node ruler. It's pressure and friction. And, you're not, and, and, and uh, the instruction from others, whether through outright negative criticism or what is intended to be constructive criticism, uh, or some veiled combination of both that's weird and, and uh, codependent or whatever, uh, manipulative. But it's the statement, you're doing it wrong. You're not doing it right. And so, so how he does Scorpio energy, he will be told by others he's not doing it right. So what he does, what he did in this life, is he went for the innocent. This, these young women who carry that Persephone energy, that naivete, and so he went for that because he could catch them off guard because they didn't see it coming. Just like Persephone, the perpetually 14-year-old maiden who's hyper overprotected by her, her mother Demeter or, or Ceres. Uh, and according to the mother, she should never be allowed to grow up because who knows what could happen to her out there in the world. That's the kind of Ceres idea, overprotective mother that smothers. Um, now let me give you an idea of this thing about Ceres. There is a complicity from other adults in Ceres' abduction story, which is sometimes called a rape story, but abduction and initiation into adulthood in this challenging way. Um, her, her mother is Ceres or Demeter. Her father is Zeus or Jupiter. And uh, Zeus, is, or Jupiter, is Pluto's brother. Now Pluto sees Persephone from afar and says, I have to have her. 
he either loves her or he lusts after her. Either way, he has to have her. So he knows Ceres slash Demeter. She's never going to go for it because she's overprotective. She would never want the daughter to grow up, especially not you know with him, who's the most feared figure in in all of creation. He's the Lord of the Underworld. He's the tall, dark stranger that is death. You know who who comes to uh, to take souls and and the souls go down to him and are are trapped there if they've been evil or bad. Uh, and the people who populate his domain are not the people you want to hang out with. You do not want your 14-year-old daughter hanging out with on a Saturday night. So, so it's like it's like you know he and everybody he knows are the wrong kind of people. <laughs> so, um, so Pluto goes to uh, Persephone's father, Jupiter, and says, I, "I love her. I want her. I need her." So Jupiter says, you know what, I'm going to hook you up. Her mom will never go for it. I'm going, to, I'm going to hook you up. So Jupiter goes to Gaia, who is the earth goddess, to create a unique flower, a new flower, that Persephone will have never seen, knowing that she will dawdle at this flower and really explore it and smell it and look at it and enjoy this new find. So Gaia does this, and... Um, she, uh, Persephone's lingering one day and a crack next to her and the earth opens up and a chariot with four black horses uh, chariot, you know, pi- piloted, driven by uh, Pluto comes up and snatches her into the underworld the crack fills in and she's gone and uh, so she's down there and there's this exchange of energy which is kind of this contract that that's, uh, that is uh, signed so to speak when she eats pomegranate seeds Mostly we hear six, sometimes we hear all it took was one, but there's this idea that she ate something and in the underworld and that was this contract to marry marry Pluto or Hades. So she is immediately vaulted into the wife of the most feared figure in all of creation. She is automatically elevated, elected to being the queen of the underworld. The, the lady of the underworld. I keep saying lord of the underworld, so the, the lady of the underworld. And she is outfitted in uh, resplendent regalia, amazing clothing, the best of the best, the finest, because Pluto's one of Pluto's deal is wealth. That's, that's part of the story with him, wealth and power. And she is now his queen. She is now the... Uh, you know, the wife, the queen of the most feared individual. So so we have this whole thing about Persephone and the loss of innocence that I go into in the Persephone's Ransom uh, double-wide chapter on, on my site that's, that's taken from the book Living Myth, Exploring Archetypal Journeys. Uh, we imagine that this is a terrible story because innocence should be held on to. But the fact is that we all have to grow up. And... Our souls conspire to force us to grow up, to draw us into circumstances where we may look for a tall, dark stranger to vault us into maturity, or we may let someone come by and do that in different ways, expose us to, I mean, we're teenagers, expose us to new music, expose us to new ideas. You know, somebody's like, hey, have you ever read Howard Zinn? And hands you like a people's history of the United States. Uh, these radical ideas, it could be intellectual, it could be sexual. Like, uh, you know, I'm over at this friend's party and I didn't know what was going to happen, but I ended up hooking up with this guy. Whatever, these like stories that come to us, that, you know, that come from our, our um, you know, our real experiences. Um, and it can also be forced. 
it can be rape, it can be molestation, it can be initiation into adult realities before we're emotionally ready, but it can also be dragging our heels and not growing up, being ready, but assuming we're not and putting it off and then having it happen. So if we're not willing to grow up, something will happen to make us grow up. And this is the this is the harsh, cruel world invading our age of innocence. Regarding the the Hades Persephone story, it's we fear for the innocence of our children. We fear that our children will be abducted. We fear the loss of innocence. But we are not often willing to initiate through wisdom and teaching and through new experiences our children into adulthood because we want to try to protect them as long as possible. I go into that in that article. I want you to read the, the Persephone's Ransom chapter. What will it take to get Persephone's innocence back? What will it take to get Persephone back to be that 14-year-old? Uh, so I want you to read that. But um, but there is this, this uh, major theme of we fear the loss of innocence. We regret the loss of our own innocence, because it would be better if we didn't know life was hard. It would be better if we didn't carry pain, if we didn't have to encounter scenarios that hurt us. These are all Persephone stories, and everybody's living a Persephone story in one way or another. So I have compassion for all of these young women who are, who are now adults, you know, who have who experienced this with him over a 40 or 50 year period all these different women I have respect also for their souls journeys where nothing can happen to us without our energetic consent which is to say vibrating I need this experience I need a tall dark stranger in this case he's like a probably average tight blonde haired stranger but but um but uh, I need somebody powerful to initiate me into my adulthood the soul is vibrating that. And this is really hard for us because people who have been abused fall into, often, uh, it often fall into the victim-perpetrator paradigm where I have been wronged, I am scarred, I will never be the same. Perhaps I define myself through the wound from the past, through this violence. I encourage you to allow these feelings to be there and to overlay what I call the logic of soul which is in no way intended to rewrite or omit or cover over or shove under the sweep under the rug the feelings. They're not meant to deny the feelings that are real when people have experienced abuse, but to open to expand to see what the soul's purpose is in that abuse. A lot of these women are, especially now that these things are becoming public, a lot of the women who experienced this with him, who were abducted and, you know, fumblingly and awkwardly and unemotionally and weirdly into sexuality, an experience of sexuality, uh, a lot of those women are, have at the soul level, agreed to become symbols of the cultural problem of repressed sexuality and trying to protect innocence for as long as possible because we don't know how to deal with difficult, painful, other words, adult reality. They are carrying something on behalf of the culture. It's very obvious when three come forward and then 200 come forward because they, you know, and that's not that common with kind of a serial rapist kind of, kind of scenario. Uh, that's not that uncommon where uh, as soon as like, uh, there can be a kind of a critical mass reached with a handful sometimes 
and then over the next few months or years, people come out of the woodwork and reveal this. Um, but uh, so it's very obvious to think of these uh, first women who come forward, who first lodge complaints or file complaints with uh, the authorities, uh, who go to news, uh, you know, go to journalists or news outlets to uh, to talk about these things and 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 reveal what's happened to them. Um, but everybody else involved has also agreed to be a symbol of that. Now, other colleagues of his from the BBC were also interviewed in this documentary, some of whom, or all of whom, acknowledged that he liked young women, but perhaps wouldn't have thought at the time this was a real problem. Cultural attitudes needed to wake up to this stuff about sexual violence and, uh, and, uh, and uh, violence against women and rape and sexual issues. So when this was coming up, you know, this guy's actually, the, the, the Savile is actually holding space for this culture to become aware of this over decades, meaning he starts probably in his 20s or 30s. He dies in his 80s, and it all comes to light. He's actually holding space for this thing to come to light, and these women are holding space. They're being symbols. He's being a symbol of what we fear. They are being symbols of our fear of being vaulted into maturity too soon, of being raped, of being abused, being molested, of being taken advantage of, of being used, you know, this lack of emotional connection. He's not opening them. He's not loving them. He's conquering their, you know, their youth. He's, he's conquering and consuming and kind of chewing up for his own pleasure their youth. So I have compassion for them and I have respect for their divine journeys, and I have compassion for him, I have respect for his divine journey. A lot of people who find out about this story are going to cement on him the label that he's evil, and he's a predator, and he's terrible. And they're going to fail to see that he is a soul, just like you and me, and all those women, and everybody you've ever met, including your pets, <laughs> including all the animals on the planet. He will become he will have a face of evil this is the this is the label that will be applied to him it, you know the shocking revelations especially adding necrophilia on top of everything else you know that that's just kind of like uh the, the, you know the final straw what i want everybody who's hearing this i want you to check, observe those reactions within yourself be aware of them you know, don't discount the feelings and hide anything or decide that you shouldn't judge him. Part of you will judge him. Part of me judges him. And yet I want you to open up to the soul's perspective. I want you to open up to seeing a different way, an overlay, a second layer of meaning you can have concurrent with the, the shock and the horror that comes from really delving into awareness and knowledge, uh, you know, the facts about what he, what he did and how he did it. This is really hard. This is really hard for, for us to do. Uh, but to respect the soul's journey is uh, respecting divine wisdom too. If we go into victim mode after we have been abused, we can define ourselves as victims for the rest of our lives. And that pain that comes from the trauma or the abuse and or abuse can become cemented within us and we can rest our identities on it. We become identified as people who have been hurt. That pain then can have us respond with defensiveness and with anger. 
and uh, I'm encouraging I'm encouraging us to grow beyond the identity as victim. I've had to do this with my own sort of abuse issues, not sexual abuse, but different kinds of um, uh, threats to my life and bully stuff and, uh, you know, raging maniac chasing me with a chef's knife through a workplace, like that kind of, I've, I've had to deal with it in terms of those kinds of things where I have felt victimized. And uh, it's not easy because a part of you is very loud because a part of you feels that you must defend yourself against future threats. And to do that, you must rise up in anger with defensiveness and walls. But when we do that, and this is really the core of my motivation to do this exploration for you, and as far as the beyond the astrology teaching or the teaching about the intentions of souls and how we interface with each other as humans, given souls love for each other, um, it, really this idea of victim perpetrator stuff, if we go into defensive mode because we have been hurt, we are not open to receiving the loving support that is around us. If we identify as victims, we are not open to receiving support going forward because we're trying to protect ourselves or keep out something we don't want. When we've had energy thrown at us or put into us abusively, you know, in any kind of physical way or sexually or emotionally or verbally, even through even through repeated criticism that can wear us down or really make an impact about our self-esteem and our feeling that we're loved or not, or that we're lovable or not. When we receive energies from others that we don't like or that are hurtful, we often shut down and cannot receive going forward. So sometimes people who have experienced abuse can spiral into kind of isolation because they're, they're not sure if they're safe enough to open to receiving love and support, which is actually trying to come to them. So if you can understand, the more people who can understand, the better. <laughs> but if you can understand that everything that has come to you serves your soul's journey, and it is not about suffering, but about showing you the wide, the, the wide variety, the myriad possibilities of human experience, including all the painful ones. If you can accept that and learn to see the wisdom of soul as it plays out in these painful dynamics in our lives, then you have an overlay to help you come out of victim modes, an overlay of meaning that can help you alter that place that, this, uh, that, that the abuse occupies in your field. So a part of you will look at this uh, Jimmy Savile as a huge disappointment to the culture, letting them down, a liar, a, a criminal, which obviously he, he, he was, or is, he was, and evil, and the worst of us. And I want you to stretch into understanding that he's a soul just like you and me, and that he has contracts with all these people and his culture to hold space to see the effect of suppression, to see the effect of how messed up, you know, long-term effect of how messed up our conceptions of what power is, that conquering is uh, the way to have power, and that conquering is enabled through having money, and uh, he, they say his trademark Rolls-Royce is where a number of... Uh, uh, rapes or molestations occurred, um, you know, taking young girls out for a day and, uh, you know, the trappings of power. And here's this, uh, this symbol of wealth, the symbol of, uh, 
you know, the, the good life, you know, in, in that culture, Rolls Royce in, the, in English culture, uh, his, you know, over the last few decades. I don't know if it's still like that today, but as far as, you know, what comes to us from media over the last few decades, that is certainly a symbol of Pluto, a symbol of power because it's very expensive and only the very rich will be driving one, will, will, will own one. So his story, their story together, all these women, all these young women, and to him, and also the his colleagues who knew something was wrong, but they weren't ever taught that it was wrong. I mean, they were never taught that it was something to address. Uh, all of these people, all these souls, are in this conspiracy of love together to provide initiation experiences that reveal how awful it is to suppress natural sexuality, how terrible it is to pin our ability to feel safe and secure and stable on material reality and therefore get in this mind, you know, have, have, have certain threads in our culture, get it into their minds, that in order to be strong and powerful, you have to conquer others. Power over, power under dynamics is a, is a major thing that this, situ this whole story symbolizes. How inappropriate that is, how damaging it is to explore Pluto through power over, power under dynamics. I do want to say briefly that as he was born in late 1926, he was born before Pluto was discovered in 1930. I think it's I think that's a little interesting to think about. Like if we were to look up Ben Franklin's Neptune, for example, uh, Neptune discovered in the mid 19th century, um, you, or maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe it was the late 18th century, but whatever it was, Ben Franklin was born before the discovery of the outer planets, and um, and to look at uh, his Neptune, it is an element of his, his personality, but his culture at the time of his birth, including Seville here, uh, or Saville, did not recognize this energy, did not have any idea what to do. So we can assume that he was not taught anything useful or healthy about Plutonian energy. We should assume that. You know, to cycle through power dynamics unconsciously. And so I, I, I uh, if he was born right after that, maybe I wouldn't say that he's a uh, you know, holding space for the whole culture to wake up to Pluto, but but he's a Plutonian figure, guided by a particular conception of what what power is about that turns out to be very damaging and destructive, and yet also there's a logic of soul that I challenge you to incorporate as well, to understand and open to and incorporate. Thank you for your time and energy and attention, and I hope that this was helpful to you. You can check out more of my work at tdjacobs.com. You can uh, listen to and subscribe to the Soul's Journey radio show on Contact Talk Radio. And you can check out the uh, Living Myth uh, book as well as the Persephone double-wide chapter that's available at tdjacobs.com. Take care and be well.